Hey guys, welcome to You The Boss Podcast, episode 28. I'm your host, Pam, and today we're going to be talking to Nikki Innocent. Nikki is a two-time TEDx speaker, certified career coach, and the host of the podcast, Checkbox Other, that focuses on the journey toward belonging. After over a decade in corporate America, she pivoted her career path to activate a new generation of leaders looking to live and lead more authentically. Nikki's holistic approach blends feminine leadership, diversity, equity, and inclusion principles to promote career life and interpersonal liberation. She works with women and folks in historically underrepresented groups to shine a light on a path forward where their inherent unique strengths are celebrated rather than the traditional mold of transforming, twisting, and shifting themselves to conform to what old paradigms of leadership looked, sounded, and acted like. Nikki is New York City-based, but works with clients remotely. I hope you guys enjoy this conversation with Nikki as much as I did. As always, look out for her information in the show notes. Hi, Nikki. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Oh, thank you for coming on to You The Boss podcast. I'm so excited. Um, so here at You The Boss, we like to dive right in when it comes to connecting with people. So tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of what you do and how you got to the space that you're in. Sure. Hi, everyone. My name is Nikki Innocent. I am a career coach and I run a business all around creating space for inclusive leadership to thrive. So what does that look like? (laughs) That looks like I hold space for individual coaching one-on-one with me. I do group coaching with people and I also go into organizations to overcome kind of the oppressive dynamics that show up, whether that be around gender, race, generation, all the different dynamics that are showing up that are stopping us from being able to show up as our full selves in the workplace. That's where I go in and I try to create talk about it because I think it's important, right? We're all feeling it, but we don't always have space to talk about it. So, um, and the, how, how did I start? How did I get there? I used to be that, like, I always call it like the model corporate employee, the person that like (laughs) knew how to put whatever mask on and whatever costume on to make everybody feel comfortable to learn all the things I needed to know to get the right answers, that kind of perfectionist persona and that people-pleasing dynamic, which so many of us, especially as women and women of color, have had to step into to just like make it through, not even to to thrive or succeed because so often it's expected that we're going to give everything and then some to just be welcome in the room. Um, or, you know, whether welcome is the word, I'm not sure, but, uh, a huge part of my experience in corporate for over a decade was really trying to understand how could I take all this stuff that intellectually I knew I went to a school that was centered on business. I went into the business space. I was in, um, advertising, then management consulting, and then investment management. So like very, very business focused places and very masculine centric places, um, Mm -hmm. And I constantly felt like I was behind. I felt like I was trying to catch up. I was trying to like slightly perform what I thought I was supposed to be. And what ended up happening was I got to a point where I was like crying in the bathroom at work and my energy, I'm hoping you're feeling this energy, like, (laughs) right? Like I am happy to be alive. And so when I'm going to work and I'm still doing good work, getting all great performance reviews, I enjoy the people that I work with. I was, I was crying and I was like, what, what, this is bigger than like, I'm in a bad mood today, or, you know, it's been a tough week or I'm really busy. There's, there's something here. And I had realized in that process that I had like completely lost who I was. And what ended up happening was I was trying everything I knew possible in like the guidebook of how to be a good employee to try to solve that. But unfortunately, mm-hmm. it was like a trapdoor somewhere else that was creating that that I didn't even see. And so um, initially, I moved to a smaller company thinking that would save me. And then at that <laughs> company, everything was like egregiously worse. So it was a beautiful thing because it nudged me out the door faster than I probably would have if I went back to try to fix everything. And in that process, I kind of got all of these, I'll call them universal nudges now. At the time, I was like, I met this person who told me this thing um, (laughs) where I found out about something called women's leadership coaching, which I had no idea what that was. Um, It was through a podcast, actually, where I started hearing somebody on a podcast talking about the struggles that I was having that I thought were only me. And I was like, get out of my head, like my mental diary, what are you doing? And it was like corporate therapy for me. And so the marketer- Corporate therapy. That's what it was. I, mean, I was like, 
were you there in that meeting? Did you hear my boss say that to me? Like, were you there when I was trying to advocate for myself and get negotiate for the bare minimum of what you told me my, my job was worth and being told who did I think I was, that that was real. Um, so having those kinds of elements of exposure in, in a really like accessible way. This was like a friend at a spin studio that said, you should really listen to this podcast. And then it just like blew my mind open. And my background is in marketing and wanting to kind of really amplify stories, branding. Um, and I was like, I need to tell more people about this. And it, that led me to actually going through the certification and becoming a women's leadership coach. And in that process, I had somebody else come into my world at the time who was also a fellow entrepreneur and said, I think that we want you to be our first cohort of diversity, equity, and inclusion facilitators for our organization in Boston, in the tech scene, really creating space for more women to be stepping into the STEM um, professions. And so I got to be a part of like the kind of the people coming up, you know, uh, what is it, the, the get on the elevator at zero <laughs> and really go uh, through the process of not only understanding and helping craft a bit of the, the programming, but actually mm -hmm. be the face in these organizations that were having these conversations for the first time. And so those two points of education at the time felt separate, but then the more I was doing it, realized so much of this is similar. And the, the, <laughs> the kind of connection point was the thing I felt like I was lacking at my job that made me lose myself. I was like, these are the words, these are the things that were like what mm -hmm. I call now whisper issues that if they're talked about at all, they're whispered in the corner somewhere that are what's lacking for so many of us that make so many of us feel like we can't be ourselves when we show up at work and we show up at work that way. We also feel like we have to show up in our lives that way to be successful. And so, so much of that experience of the kind of feeling like I do not belong in this workplace, even though I've done all the right things. And then the invitations from my community being like, I think you might want to look at this, or can you come be a part of that? Where the we're kind of what I think of as like the kismet experiences, the kind of little magical, <laughs> the like fairy mm -hmm. dust of sorts that are yeah. like, this is what you need to do, Nikki. And um, I couldn't, you know, I can't help but try to, to share more of it because I think the biggest part of that experience of feeling like you're other or alone or separate is not realizing that other people are really going through the same thing and not necessarily thinking you have permission to talk about it. And so I see myself as somebody that creates and holds space for people to be able to show up and say, this is a little bit messy, or I don't think I belong here. I think I'm doing it wrong. And really just be like, you're a human being, you're doing it exactly the way you're meant to. Let's really explore how you can feel confident in that. And so that's kind of, that's the work that I do now. Um, and I also have a podcast called Checkbooks Other, which is really centered around people coming onto the podcast and talking about a time in their life where they felt other or different or as though they don't belong and how that's actually informed their path forward. So all of it kind of comes together. But uh, my hope is that at the end of this, if like I could press an easy button for the universe is for all of us to actually feel like we belong as the human beings we were born into. So um, yeah, that's, that's who I am and why I do what I do. Okay, so I want to take this moment and say, wow. Um, just for the, the no, listeners no. <laughs> kind of, uh, context, um, we connected on Facebook and you know how it is. It's kind of like looking at a resume, you know, it'll say like, I'm proficient in Microsoft word, Excel and whatever other program. Yeah. And then you get, you get to the person and it's actually like, yeah, no, they know all of the programs across the board. So that's like iOS and Microsoft. And it's like, wow, like your resume did not display that. Like it said you knew what you were doing, but like you are what you're doing. Um, so I do want to say, wow, that's amazing. Um, I think it's in this in this kind of environment, it's very easy to get lost in that. Like what you said of, of being alone, of feeling like you're alone. And I've been there. You know, I'll, I worked at a company for five years and in that final, I want to say eight to 12 months, um, which was right before the pandemic, there was a time of like, they were letting a bunch of people go. And first of all, I wasn't even studying. I wasn't even working there for what I studied for. Mm -hmm. It was a job that I had gotten. Mm -hmm. It had provided me with the ability to work from home. And at some point in that last eight to 12 months, they offered severance packages to people. I had to reapply for my job. And I found myself being like, for, for, for what? 
Yeah. Why? Like, <laughs> yeah. And literally, the, I remember getting the call of them being like, oh, yeah, you got the job. And me being like, yeah, because I'm doing the job. <laughs> and then some, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. And then they, um, I remember the person that called me was a completely detached person. Like she was just essentially making the phone calls of being like, hey, we interviewed you. We want you to stay on. And she was trying to negotiate with me to come into the office mm-hmm. for a little bit more pay. And I was like, it's going to take me like three hours to get into the office. I exaggerated a little bit. I'll be honest. Um, at this point, that's irrelevant because I don't longer work there. Yeah. But I was like, oh, it would have been really two hours. But I was going to take me like two and a half hours to three to get into the office to do what I already do from home. I already have the equipment at home. And that was like my way to advocate for myself. And I remember her kind of scoffing, her being like on the phone and me being like, I got to leave. I got to leave this place because <laughs> as a collective, they were they were trying to like, it's almost like I'm a, a, like trying to minimize. And so many people. I think it's so great that you're you're doing this work because so many people get stuck in this. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I'm here like I can't switch jobs right now. And it's always something's up with the economy. Something's up in life that you're like, I can't switch jobs right now. I can't stir the pot. Yeah. Um, and it's always I mean, for as long as I've been in the workforce, it's always something yeah. that you you're almost like you can't advocate for yourself. So now connecting with you and hearing you say like, yeah, no, I want people to know that you can advocate for yourself and that you can also step away from that and be even more than you thought possible so I think again wow for the third time that's really awesome that well let me add one other thing because I want to like give a little bit back to you because I feel like you were like three hours but not really three hours of time two hours doesn't matter right it's not even just the time I think one of the principles of women's leadership is the fact that like in super traditional overly skewed masculine masculine leadership models. And I I say this because it's called women's leadership. It's not really just about women. It's Mm -hmm. about really masculine themes of how we operate in our very, very skewed society right now. Mm -hmm. Um, But in, in the feminine leadership model, the idea is to really understand that we've been operating, believing that time and money are more important than everything else. And really honoring that there is so much more to the value of life and time and money are really just kind of components and tools that we use to try to capture that is so important. And so I think as we're talking about like the two to three hours that then they're scoffing at you about the one way. Right. And it's not even that, right? Because it's not the time. It's not the gas. It's not whatever. It's literally the fact that not only are you going to have to add that to your plate, but you're going to have to add the mental work. You're going to have to add the emotional work of being in out and on the commute and the time that you've lost doing that. And you're going to have to change the routines that you've had. And they're bringing you back because you did really well. So they're taking a pretty big chance of kind of shaking that up and you're advocating for that. So it's not just like selfishly being like, I don't want to do that. No, this is a commitment we made before. Somehow something's Mm -hmm. changed, but you're making it come back across as though I'm doing something wrong. Like I'm I'm asking for too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you're, you're being ungrateful, which that's not it. And also I think there's a part of this too that's really fascinating to me because I, again, I've had a couple conversations today alone about this, um, that there is this like, it's not fast. Well, I guess it's fascinating and it makes sense that we've been indoctrinated to believe, especially women and especially women of color, that mm-hmm. the other person's perspective holds more clout because we've always had to bring receipts on receipts on receipts on receipts, right? We've had to show it and then show it again and show it again and explain it 17 different ways for it to be received. And so that experience in itself of having to say something seven times before it's heard, well, a man will say it once and interrupt you and get the credit for the thing you said, it can really make it challenging when you're in a negotiation situation or even just an interpersonal situation to believe that you hold just as much power as that person who scoffed at you, that it's not that they hold all the power and therefore you need to adjust around it. It's like, hey, you want me to work here, right? If I'm not working here, you're going to have to go spend X amount of time and X amount of dollars to try to recruit and also handle the loss of me being there. But so often that's not the conversation that we're told about being grateful to have a job. Right. I think um, just to kind of plug this, and I've mentioned this before on my podcast about, I'm going to say eight or nine months later, it was 2020 and they still let me go. (laughs) They still let me go from that job to move it to another state to pay someone half of what they were paying me, which was not a lot to begin with. Yep. Um, 
so I felt even more that I'm like, I'm glad that I didn't say, you know what, I'm just going to travel the three hours one way to come in. And so I'm in New Jersey and it would have been some part of West Jersey to go into like lower Manhattan where like the financial district. I'm like, why would I do that? Yeah, I would be getting up at whatever time to come work. I'm going to spend half of my paycheck just commuting. So in that time of, I guess, negotiation, which a lot of the time, like you mentioned, we don't see I'm not negotiating. I shouldn't have to negotiate what I'm already doing. Right. Exactly. I, I, I shouldn't be well, right. The reason you're bringing me back is because I do it well. Because I did it well. Exactly. Yeah. I saved you literally the interview process with whoever else to have to teach them the systems, invest in the computers and all that other stuff for you to almost be offended, you know? And I think I'm interested to kind of ask this question. Um, It just kind of just came to me while we were talking. Um, When you sit down with your, the ideal person um, and you're talking to them about negotiating, because whenever I think of negotiation, I think of money. Um, And I, and I realize that it's not, they're not always linked. Like when you're negotiating, let's say respect, for example, first of all, you shouldn't negotiate respect, but for the sake of the example, (laughs) um, when you're negotiating that, it's not so much that you're looking for money or you're looking to be compensated. You're, it's like a bargaining system. So like, if I present this to you, I would like for you to present me with this. So whenever you're talking to, let's say a client or someone that you've connected with and and they're having a, a problem advocating for themselves or negotiating, what's something that you, you bring to their attention um, yeah. as far as them being able to negotiate for themselves? Well, I always, you know, it's funny. I think about how, so I went to a business school, right? And so in business negotiation, it, like they have all class on it. They have all yeah. these things or you have a, a 90 minute workshop. So you're supposed to have a script and you're done, right? So, and there are- beautiful- The elevator speech, they call it. Right, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Advocating for yourself, there's a whole bunch of different ways you can do that, right? But I think the thing is, and TikTok, those of you who enjoy TikTok and there are people that do amazing scripts for you to be able to follow through, go for it. If it feels like it fits right for you, give it a shot, try it out. For me, when I think about negotiation, And I think about the kind of respect element, which I think is the umbrella, right? Mm -hmm. That the money part, all that it shows itself through different means, but like really what you're trying to create and especially what we're experiencing as a huge amount of people are leaving their jobs, people are getting laid off without kind of any, any uh, explanation. Yeah. Explanation. But that's, again, that's the part for me is like, I graduated in 2007, 2007 to 2008. My first job I had day one, half the company, well, I shouldn't say half the company, a bunch of the company got laid off. Like I remember being like, wow. oh, they're having an all staff meeting for my first day. How great. And they were like, <laughs> By the way, bye. And it was like, wait, my friend who brought me in, she ended up getting laid off. It was awful. And so it's like layoffs themselves are not something that um, are going to be pleasant, right? But I think there's a big part of this that we lose when we start trying to make negotiation like one thing or the other. I think that the biggest element, the kind of respect level umbrella is about reciprocity. And so when you're stepping into an exchange with somebody, whether it is in work or in life, and you feel as though the seesaw is like completely unbalanced and you're doing all the work to move it up and down. You feel mm-hmm. undervalued. You feel exhausted by the exchange before you ever have it. You feel like there's somebody that's like a leech sucking the life out of you and then asking you for more. Like those are the types of things that like are really, really important to honor and acknowledge as you're thinking about how you want to potentially approach a negotiation and what you want back. Because I think there is a part of this where like you can advocate for money all day, but if you're in a place that is completely disrespectful, no amount of money is going to to take care of you in the way that you need to be respected as a human being. Because again, though we've been taught time and money are everything. Yeah. The thing about this is, right, the time is a finite thing for you, but if money equals time, then you're willing to take a certain amount of money to lose that time in your life. And at the, you know, we hear this all the time from like hospice folks, like the last thing people are thinking about isn't the amount of money they have when they're taking their last breath. And so really giving yourself that level of viewpoint, I think when you're stepping into a conversation that might be um, a little bit emotionally charged, especially if it's a negotiation thing where you're like, I'm advocating for my worth and like, they're going to tell me no, that's not a really easy thing to, to swallow. But what you're really trying to do is say, Hey, 
I am worthy. And what's happening right now is not actually honoring my worth. How can we try to make this a, a situation where we're whole, where we are feeling reciprocal? So I always, I, I really, I think it's important to kind of level it at that and not just about dollar and cents or, mm-hmm. you know, equity, uh, how much equity you're getting and all like just there's packages, right? You're, they'll be like, oh, well, maybe your salary is this, but like here are all the things in your package. Great, cool, wonderful. But also I feel like shit here. So how can we fix that? <laughs> I think that that's an important thing to acknowledge, right? The other side of this that I, I always with, with my clients, I talk about coming into the situation, understanding the overarching um, dynamics that are happening in the workplace. So not necessarily thinking that you are a silo as an individual by yourself stepping into this, but understanding like, here's how I show up in this space, but also here's how this space is constructed. Here's where my boss is coming from. Here's what their perspective is. Here's the kind of influences that are helping them make this decision one way or another to really understand that like, it's not, this isn't just negotiation. This is when I talk to people about conflict resolution. We're, mm-hmm. we're groomed to think when we have these types of conversations that make us uncomfortable, that like it's us versus the other person on the yeah. other side, mm-hmm. right? And so like, even right now we're, we're doing a digital situation where like, I'm two-dimensional, you're two-dimensional, I'm staring at you, you're staring at me. But what's happening, what I try to, what I try to work with people on in my workshops as well, like I do this across the board is really shifting the conversation from you against me to you and I against the problem. Because the problem is the thing where I don't feel appreciated in this job. So like, I'm either not going to perform as well as I could, or I'm probably going to leave, or there's going, there's going to be repercussions. And also you have some sort of confines of stuff that you need to unravel this knot of a problem that we have. So how can we find that reciprocal middle ground where we both feel respected and we both feel valued and worthy? And yeah, I think the part of this, that's really challenging. I'm sure I like can hear this in the back of my head. So this is like, <laughs> We're that's, talking together. Right. That's nice. But like the person that I'm talking to, my manager, the HR, the recruiter, whoever, like they're going to be having 500, 500 of these conversations. Like they're not really that worried about my salary, but it's still a human being. Right. And like both of you, if you're having the conversation, that human being is, is trying to get to a goal. And so can you work together towards that versus feeling like you're fighting one another? And so those types of like overarching mindset shifts I think actually help you meet the, the human at the human level. So they don't feel like they are more hierarchically important than you are in this world. Cause they're not, they're a person and you're a person and mm-hmm. it, it allows you to feel confident in who you are and not feel like you have to minimize or accept less than what you have. And like my body is even shrinking as I say this, because I think there is a lot of the way that we're set up um, in our workplaces to make us feel small. Uh, the other thing I'll just mention really quickly that a lot of companies use for their, like, like you're talking about, like the review model of apply uh, here. Yeah, you're doing mm-hmm. well, but like apply again. So a lot of companies use that idea of like a 360 review or whatever you, whatever you'd like to call it, performance reviews. And the origin of that is actually a military origin. Like it was in performance reviews really? were initially set up so that you could, um, expel is not the word I mean, but like get rid of soldiers that weren't performing well in battle. And it was a punitive. It was, you're not doing well. So this is how we're going to handle this. We're going to take you through a performance review process. So the interesting part is, right. If you really think about the fact that like companies are adopting this as an overarching way to assess the success of the people that work within their business, then you're constantly approaching this as everyone's a problem. And I'm trying to find ways to punish people. And so that mentality, whether they know it's not, it's not like, oh, Mm -hmm. I'm doing this, but if that's the model it's starting from, the kind of roots of a performance review model are about, let me find what's wrong and let me root it out instead of, hey, what works really well for you? Like, what are you shining at? What are you doing really well? Where are some areas where you're having a hard time? Is there a way for me to actually support either you getting some more support on that or even better? Is there somebody that loves that, that could take that and you can take something else that they don't like, but is actually really in alignment with your skills and your strengths? Companies are trying to do that, but also still using this model that stems from a very kind of punish. I think of like the principal's office energy of like, mm-hmm. you got called to the principal's office. You're not like, oh my God, this is going to be such a good conversation. So great. <laughs> There is, there's a little bit about how we think about what we're stepping into and trying to reframe that, that allows us to just be real human beings in the exchange, which again, this is a long-winded way to say, you're probably like, Nikki, just give me the fucking script. No, no. So, I hope it's okay that I'm swearing, um, but give me the script. 
so I can just do it. It's like, right, you could keep doing the script. You'll probably end up in this situation again. How do we allow for you to feel empowered in these conversations to really walk out feeling like you said what you had to say and that the endpoint can be as close to reciprocity for you as possible? So a couple of a couple of things I do want to mention. Um, first and foremost, while I was listening to you, I do want to say that I can tell how passionate you are about this, about how you want a person to advocate for themselves and not exactly what you said. You don't want anyone to walk into a conversation, almost like a confrontation. You want them to walk in and say, Hey, something as simple as, Hey, I realized that we park really close on like the sidewalk, something like I'm going to say silly, but something very simple. Mm -hmm. And I think that the size of your tire is, clashing with the size of mine. And I wanted to see what we could do about that because we could probably work together more efficiently or better if our cars weren't hitting each other on the sidewalk kind of deal. And I think that you're absolutely correct. We are taught and molded, especially as women and women of color, that we need to show up and over explain everything. You know, you're if if I was male and you are female and our resumes, we went to the same school, we had the same internships, we had the same jobs. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, if I walk into a room and say, I have a bachelor's degree in international business and you walked in and said that, for whatever reason, we're molded to say that you feel like you need to bring your transcripts with you. Oh, yeah. Because even though I'm, in my opinion, it's outdated to ask anyone for their grades because like, that 3.8 and the 3.2 really doesn't matter because we're being trained by this company that's going to teach us how they want things done. So it really doesn't matter. But for whatever reason, for women, it feels like we need to show up with our grades. We need to show up with recommendation letters and their referrals or I'm probably saying that right uh, wrong, but we need to show up with people having our back. Basically, we need to show up with an entourage where maybe for in many industries, but specifically in business, men show up and it's like, yeah, I worked with IBM for however amount of time. And it's like, oh, you're hired. And it's like, oh, you don't want to hear that I was a janitor there. Like, you just want to hear that I worked there. Like, it's those kinds of things that I feel program us to think that advocating for ourselves or negotiating or bringing up a problem to any, any situation, it makes it feel like, we're being combative or we're asking for too much or, and it's, it's very interesting right now because the job industry, like having a career in anything right now, I would hate to be a supervisor right now because for anyone, even the 30 somethings for anyone who is right. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Um, For anyone that is in that mindset and that is actually paying attention to this job market, if you're, um, I'm going to say an old school, or if you're a more, a more mature supervisor, you're getting a lot of pushback from people coming and saying, yeah, I don't agree with that. And, and maybe even still being scared to say it, but not feeling as scared. But I also feel that there's still so many of us that are still not bringing these things up. Yeah. A lot of us are still shy or scared to do so yeah, it makes sense yeah you know it's interesting I think of so this is a part of the work that I do when I talk about generational dynamics because part of it is yeah what year were you born but another part of it is like what model were you brought up in mm-hmm. I believe how you can kind of handle authority and how you move forward and I think there's a part of this especially like I, I think that the I'm in my I'm a, I'm in my late thirties. Yeah. That's what we call it. So I'm like, you know, it, at the elder millennial stage. Right. And the interesting part, Wait, elder millennial is late thirties. Yeah. So like 40 under, I believe is millennial 40 to how old is my brother? So my sister and I are like the two polar, like the two sides of the millennial spectrum. Um, so yeah, I think my brother is just on the cusp. He's 98. So um, from like, I think it's like 83 depends, but like, yeah, 
that hairy side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like the thing that's, so the reason I'm saying all this is that like a lot of us are still millennials in particular have been taught a whole bunch about how they're entitled, they're lazy. They, um, I don't know a single lazy millennial. Like I really don't. (laughs) There's a difference between messaging and reality. But the thing that's so fascinating about this is, um, the millennial generation is the biggest generation we've got right now. Yep. It's the yep. most educated generation we've got. It's uh, for sure has the most diverse representation within the educated level within the workplace. The Gen Z generation is more diverse, smaller population. Yeah. They're just, so, they're still coming up in that right. way. But the other thing is, if you think about how the Gen Z population, who is, I think, creating a lot of this conversation and this outspokenness that is creating the space for those of us who've kind of been in this space and told from those before us, you don't say shit. Mm-hmm. And then you have this pocket of millennials being like, you've already told me I was lazy and entitled. So I have to keep saying that I'm not lazy. I have to keep advocating for it. It actually doesn't work. I see how this tech that you had taken 20 years to understand. I watched a 20 second YouTube video and that doesn't mean you're better or worse. Let's just understand it can take me 20 seconds to do it. Is like this understanding of this huge shift and change that's happening and has been happening through the evolution of the millennial stepping from adulthood, uh, from childhood to adulthood. Yep. That is a really big shift and change for our entire, like <laughs> our world society. Yeah. Is that like things that used to take a really long time don't, which again is like technology, which is not new at this point, you know, but things are coming at, we're getting updates on our phones every 15 minutes, right? Like that's kind of just the way that you've had to learn to adapt. But mm-hmm. also if you were taught by generations that it took time and you respected your elders and you waited for seniority and all of the kind of old traditional values, it is built into the way that you were taught things that you are not actually, you are, you might have the right answer, but if you deliver the answer this way, it's wrong. I always talk about like, maybe this is my own personal thing. That's why I keep bringing it up. <laughs> But like math problems in school, they drove me crazy because I was very good at math. But I'm good at arithmetic after that. Mm. But the way my brain works is different than the way they taught me math, right? Mm. And so in math class, it was great, get me the answer, but it was also show your work. And so oftentimes I would like get the answer. The teacher would be like, all right, show me your work. I'm like, do you want me to show it to you the way that I got there? Or do you want me to show it to the way you, the way that you taught me to get there? Because I got there faster because my brain does it differently. Not mm-hmm. because like, I've got technology, I've got my Excel, whatever, none of that. But just the way I approached it was different than the way you were taught to teach it to me or that you, you were taught it in the first place. And that space of understanding that people can get to the right answer, but maybe not have to go through the crap you went through to get there. Yeah or have to do it your way in order to be correct is the bigger picture of what we're dealing with right now. On a large scale, we're dealing with people that had very limited exposure to information. Even like growing up, it was like before the internet had everything, it was like you go to the library and look at an encyclopedia that's probably outdated. Or you had to ask someone that was older than you. And so that's all being passed through a a very small, narrow lane of how information is given and distributed it's for like you think about like even textbooks for school like there was one type of textbook that every school got it was like there are other people that can teach you history which we're learning again and again we're not really taught the full-fledged elements of the stories of our country for sure and the world on top of it and Mm -hmm. so there is an element of just really understanding that so often why we feel that hesitation isn't because we're flawed or we're broken it's because we were taught a very specific way to be obedient and so I will go to that question. Yeah, I'll go back. It's, this is not, this is very similar, um, (laughs) but it's not exactly the performance review thing, but it's disturbing how similar. So this, I actually learned on TikTok, which uh, I always like learn something on TikTok that I'm like, all right, let me do the research to make sure it's real. Yep. Yep. Same. (laughs) So um, the education system in America is based on what is the Prussian education system, which was all around and centering obedience. Mm-hmm. So the way that we're taught, the way that we sit in our classrooms, the way that we're taught our subjects, the way that we're taught to be a good student are about us being obedient and homogenous so that we become robots. And yep. so where we are right now, if we all became robots, we wouldn't be able to go anywhere or do anything. Like we are in a time right we now. We wouldn't where, be having this conversation. Where innovation is a must or else we cannot move forward because everything else is shifting and changing. So if we just keep in our robotic ways, well, it's like kind of, if you think about like, uh, I think of like a robot walking and then the, the floor ended, but they can't see it. So they just, and they just they fall just, over. Yeah. Cause you don't know because you're so programmed on it. 
And so as human beings, we're not meant to be robots, but we have been trained in such a way to think that if we use our mind, like I think of, there's all these movies that do this, right? Like the matrix has this, there's like, I remember Pleasantville. I just recently actually watched the matrix and I'm still like, I'm still finding like quote unquote, the glitch in the matrix and right. I'm like oh if I fall in that hole I'm done messes with you, right? messes with you. but there are so many different versions of how this stuff shows up and unfortunately I think there is such a um I, I always talk about it about like scratching and clawing or like white knuckling holding it so hard that you want to hold on to the past because it's something that you've seen and kind of worked to a certain extent but you're yeah. very obviously like saying the it. foundation yeah but the foundation is crumbling like if nothing else the last three years have shown us that the foundation of how we think about work it doesn't, it wasn't able to translate into us going through a health crisis and we're still in the midst of it. It hasn't been nimble enough and flexible enough to meet people where they are. It's not understanding that like, one of the biggest reasons I stepped into this work was seeing the demographic data of our country <laughs> and mm-hmm. realizing we pride ourselves in, at least my entire life, have prided ourselves in the, and, and in those history books that only go back a certain, certain amount. And being inclusive. But, but that we were taught that America was a superpower. Mm-hmm. But the numbers, if we continue on the track that we are, our population, as it is more diverse, will not be able to support our economic superpower status because we are excluding so many people within our population from participating that we won't have enough people to actually uphold so much of how we see ourselves as the best and the brightest. And of course, we're seeing that more now in the last few years because we are we're we're still stuck in a lot of our ways. We're- we're paying attention more too. I I have this conversation often. Um, it's funny. I have friends in a lot of different avenues. Yeah. So some of my closest friends, like I literally have off the top of my head, I have mm-hmm. a blue collar female, an arts female, and a white collar job female, a lawyer, a dancer, and a machine operator. Literally like my top three close friends. Yeah. And then the fourth, is an entrepreneur. She started her own photography business 10 years ago and and that's her bread and butter. Um, So I say that because there's so many different facets of how much that has changed where, you know, even let's, I'm going to be 32 in in a couple of weeks. So I'm an, I I thought I was an elder millennial, but now I'm not sure. Hey, you know what? Here's the thing. If you identify with that, if you identify with the stuff I'm talking about, that's the point. The label isn't as important. Yeah. Um, so 30 years ago, you we were largely in a couple of different fields. And then the rest of it was kind of like, stay quiet, keep going kind of deal. We and as, now, what? We as women, you mean? Right. Us as women, you know, yes, there were female lawyers 30 years ago. Yes, there were female judges, police officers, uh, entrepreneurs, etc. But it was still a field where it was like you had a guy with you. You had a guy that was a mentor, that kind of a thing. So especially in the last three years, I say the last three years, but I'm sure I think it really goes back in the last 10. But definitely the last. My one of my cats is here trying to pay a visit um stop stop it sorry um so in the last three years really first of all we've been paying so much attention you know not to I I don't normally bring politics up so I'm not gonna say names I'm gonna say very much I think the 2016 election was the first election that our generation was very heavily invested watching because of social media, because of these advances in technology, we all started to kind of see that this previous generation programmed us to obey our elders, which I happen to think is not a bad thing. I think listening to your elders or respecting your elders is really just the foundation of respect everybody. Right. Like not just your elders. It's the blind obedience to something that everything in your body is telling you is wrong. Right. Very different. Right. There's there. Right. There's that's a different. That's a different. Like if you if you said I'm going to blindfold you and I'm going to walk you to your car. And I hear a truck <laughs> and it's getting louder. And I say, Nikki, I can hear the truck. And you're like, you're supposed to trust me. And I'm like, it's not okay, traffic. but the truck is coming. <laughs> yeah. 
you know, it's that. And it's the questioning of that that has really set our generation apart. You know, the the generation that's coming after us, I can't really speak to because I don't I don't have a lot of connection to that. Um, and even if I do, it's it's one of those cases where like the person is an older soul. I'm going to say older soul, but it is what it is. But with our generation, we've woken up to these different things in in our careers. Um, one of my best friends, she recently left a job that she was at for like seven years. It was her first big girl job. And she left this job because she she was already doing three or four people's jobs there. She she works in the South. So the there's just a difference of opinion when it comes to women in the workplace. And, you know, she was told, make sure you wear high heels and lipstick to work. Like, what are you doing? Which I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You should dress how you want to dress. But for you to tell me to do that at work and I'm not in that field industry, that's a whole other thing up for debate. So she's there for seven years. She's doing the work of multiple people, kind of not really being appreciated, kind of like getting in trouble for things like you wrote that in red ink instead of blue ink. Mm -hmm. And she didn't get a raise over the last two years. There wasn't even really much of a bonus when there was a hurricane that happened. It was just kind of like, you guys can work from home during the pandemic for the first six to seven weeks and then come back into the office and we'll figure it out from there. So she finally sits down with her 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 actual boss and is like, hey, I want to negotiate my salary. I want like an extra ten, fifteen thousand dollars, like which really is seven thousand dollars extra after taxes. Like it cut it in half, honestly. And her boss was like, okay, we're going to bring this to HR. You know, I I agree with you. We're going to do this. The person who runs HR, whatever her issue is, they deny this raise for basically the third time in the last two years. So she scrambles and gets her dream job and was like, I'm leaving. Bye. And I was so happy for her because I've watched her these last two or three years go through exactly what we're talking about, doing multiple jobs and just being like, I'm grateful to be here. I'm grateful to be in this space. I just want a little bit more money. I just want a little bit more benefit. And it's like, at some point, as as a whole, we were taught like, you should not get health benefits at work. And you're like, what do you mean? I'm here. 60 hours a week. What do you mean? I don't get health benefits. I don't get a raise at least every year. I don't, I'm not keeping up with inflation. Like what am I getting here? You're asking for bare minimum of saying I need a pen to do this job. And they say, you got to bring your own pen. We don't supply that. And you're like, but I need the pen to do this job. And it's like, you need to bring the pen. Well, you think, I mean, that's, that's the reality for teachers in general, right? Yeah wait a second, like this is supposedly the foundation on how we get ourselves to where we got to go. There is, there is this assumed element of like, you can figure it out, but I won't provide you what you need to do it. Right. And then when you ask for what you need and you value your time there, I mean, it's, this is the same lane as the kind of very much louder conversation that I expected about quiet quitting that's happening right now about people being like, I'm so glad you brought that up. Cause that was going to be my next conversation. <laughs> But it's literally having appropriate boundaries at work and not overworking yourself and being, again, in a in a reciprocal space. So this is another example, at least from my perspective, it's another example of language being used to try to manipulate from what yep. reality really is. So in the same way that millennials are lazy and entitled, quiet quitting is a problem. And it really isn't quiet quitting. You're not giving up. You're saying, so this, this is not appropriate. I'm, I'm only going to do what you're paying me to do. And these are the things. I'm really glad that you brought up quiet quitting because when I initially saw that the first couple times in headlines, yeah. I thought it was like, it's going to sound very silly, but it is what it is. Yeah. I thought it was like people were just handing in their resignation letter and leaving. Yeah. And I'm like, ghosting, ghosting the entire. Yeah. 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 I'm like, um, I'm not really a fan of ghosting anything. So what's going on here? And then I read a little bit more on it and I'm like, that's not quitting. That's having a, that's me saying I'm not going to do Peter and Jasmine's job and my job and only get my salary. Yeah. And this is where it's ironic to me because we're we are the um alleged entitled generation. 
the lazy generation. Mm-hmm. And we have given up so much of ourselves in the workplace where they, these, the older generation is, thinks that they're entitled to that mandatory time that we were doing basically free work or whatever it was that fits whatever industry. Mm-hmm. So it's actually really funny to be considered the entitled generation or the lazy generation when we are literally the workforce right now. We have literally made it that we put GPSs in phones so that if you're walking somewhere, you can literally GPS yourself on foot. We have made it so that, like you mentioned before, yeah, there's certain things that like there's certain math that on paper in, in my in my school transcripts didn't look as good because I got the answer, but I just maybe couldn't communicate how I got the answer. I couldn't show the work. So it's like, do you want me to show you? Do you want me to show you why I got there? Or do you want me to show you how I got there? Because either way, I'm getting there. Isn't that what we asked for? Do you care that I got there? I mean, that's the other part, right? So there's, there's a couple things coming up. I think there's one big part of this that like, I, uh, I love therapy. I advocate for anybody to go to therapy if they have the opportunity or invest in their education around their mental health if possible. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a huge part of what we deal with, which is something that I feel like was started a little bit in what you were talking about, about 2016, how like it seemed the most um, engaged people have been around. At least for me as an adult. Yeah. But a huge part of that is how it was sensationalized, right. And how it was tapping into our emotional responses of fear to engage and to feel like we had to protect ourselves in the fight and flight and freeze and fawn, all those responses. And so that's, I think, a really, really interesting part to how we think about how we interact with the world around us, that there are so many levers being intentionally pulled that are creating this state of like, I need to survive this, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is, again, might be the reason why you're like, fine, whatever, I'll take whatever. I just need to stay in this job because everything else is too much for me. So that might mm-hmm. be part of the hesitation too. And then the other part of this, when you're talking about like, you're calling me lazy and entitled, but like, let me flip that mirror around. Cause I think you're talking about yourself mm-hmm. is a projection, which I think we have a lot. We have it that is disturbing because it's become such a integral part of how we interact with each other. I mean, you think about like bullying and Facebook comment type energy, mm-hmm. so much of somebody else spewing all their crap into a comment on you. That's their own stuff. They're projecting that's their own it. problem. Mm-hmm. So It's funny because I actually feel like what is the biggest issue that we have in workplaces generationally is that we are constantly just throwing stuff back and forth at each other rather than creating space to honor. Okay, here's where I'm uncertain. Here's where I don't know something. Here's where things have changed. Here's where, you know, I feel like there's a new way to do it, but you won't hear me. Like really, again, bringing us back to the kind of same side of the table thinking that allows us to kind of go past that level of like knee jerk protect myself reaction, because everything, again, if you think about generationally, our generation, and even more so the generation uh, Gen Gen Z behind us has been led and um, groomed in fear. Mm -hmm. So much of the way that we see ourselves in the world has been as a result of, I think, you know, the formative, there's a book called The Millennial Myth. I don't know if people love, I could drop all different pieces of information on here. There's a book called The Millennial Myth that talks about- the, We'll put this in the show notes for sure. Yeah, that talks about the formative it's a woman named Crystal Kadakia. I love, love the book. It's a little bit like case study-esque, but mm-hmm. um, the first chunk for sure lays the groundwork of like, here's what formed the millennial generation. And a lot of it were really, really seismically scary events in our country's mm-hmm. history, mm-hmm. right? They talk about Columbine, they talk about 9-11, and they talk about the fact that we also grew up with this trend in parenting that's helicopter parenting. So helicopter parenting is let me make sure that all the threats of the world never come to you. So there's just like, like everything is, everything is to be feared. And you also need to like grab and hold and grasp so that you're never lacking. Like there is this sense that- A scarcity mindset. Yeah, scare tactic, scarcity mindset. You need to grab and hold your own because there won't be enough. That It's not safe to trust other people. Like that type of stuff is really, really, really impactful in how we interact with each other in all aspects of our life. This is why like ghosting shows up. This is why when we hear quiet quitting, like, oh, people are leaving their jobs like that now. Like 
It's the great resignation. Right. Exactly. When we have this sense of we make our decisions based on fear and survival, then our operating is based on that. And then we're fascinated by how it's happening. It's like, well, if that's the fabric of how we operate with one another, it does make sense that things won't really make sense or things won't feel off because we're operating from a place of thinking that everybody's bad and everything's a threat. And mm-hmm. then you think about the Gen Z generation that is growing up with active shooter drills at like kindergarten levels like that's the kind of stuff that's like if we yeah we had bomb scares yeah that's what we had Mm -hmm. it will create this sense of us assuming that everything everything is a threat everything is a potential life and death situation when it might not be but it's not like you as an individual are broken because of that it's that we've been surrounded by this and then we expect ourselves to magically flip a switch and act like that never happened and so really giving some compassion and grace as you go through your own kind of healing journey on this i think is one of the things that gives you some more of that power back and allows you to really mitigate that hesitation feeling of like i don't think i can speak here i don't think i can advocate for myself here i don't think i you know okay i guess i should just take the $3,000 instead of the 15K that the market is telling me I'm worth. Yeah. All of that is like, it makes a lot of, all of these things make sense. But the thing is the way that we've been messaged about it is that you are individually flawed for not being able to solve what is a much larger problem than just your one experience. And so I feel like giving yourself a little bit of that is important. And then the other, the other book that I want to, well, there's so many, (laughs) by the way. (laughs) Yeah. I'm I'm with the reading. Trust me. There's this book called All the Single Ladies. It's by Rebecca Traster. It was like, I don't know, early 2010s um, that talks about the experience for how women were being, were able to have access to things over time and the types of jobs that they were given, we were given, but this isn't like the 60s, 70s, 80s, but it talks about, you know, and and this is kind of on commercials now, but like, it wasn't until like 1973 that women were allowed to have their own credit cards and women weren't allowed to have, buy their own homes. They weren't allowed to, you know, it comes from like the dowry system, right? So there's so much of this stuff that feels like, oh, well, we're just like, we were born into like, you know, equal opportunity. Life. But we're but, not. Like <laughs> the people that raised you did not have that. The system yep. that you're operating within that have been around for a long time are not set up to really understand and honor that. So as you have that kind of belief and understanding, because you've seen a couple of versions of it, but you're, you're feeling there's something wrong with you because you're operating with systems that are telling you the opposite. And so I feel like your friends stepping into that situation and being like wanting to advocate for all of the amazingness she's bringing into the workplace but the workplace is still set up where obviously we have the gender pay gap, but it's set up in systems and structures and ways that we value people to see that the woman's experience is less valuable if it, and they should be lucky. They should be mm-hmm. lucky to be there at all. And so those are the kinds of things that like, if you understand where the history of it is, it actually helps you release the responsibility that you might feel of like, why am I feeling this? It's like, oh, it actually, there's a pretty straight through line of why these things are happening. And when you have that, you are able to have more conversations about it. You're able to actually see it for what it is versus I always think of it as like, you keep running up against this invisible wall, but if you can't see the wall and you don't know how the wall got there, you're feeling like I, it's my, I, I don't even, there's nowhere I can move because the wall is everywhere. But if you yeah. start actually allowing yourself to see what has created it, you have the ability to use this amazing thing we have up in our heads, which is the human brain to be able to create new neural pathways and new strategies to try to figure out how can I get to the goal that I'm working with, working towards? And again, if you're working with other people as you do it, it won't be such an isolated experience for you. Right. So I do want to hit something that you did mention, and it was having the conversations of in this, in the, in the example I want to give is, is talking about your salary. Um, Cause that's, that's a hot topic, you know, talking about your salary with your coworkers, but also I think just having these conversations in general, you know, earlier this year, I, I had the opportunity to, to interview several women that I think one of them I've known, two of them I've known for a long time. One of them I used to work with and one I met socially and it was like four women and all four of them were from different places. They were in different careers. They were at different points in their lives. And I felt such empowerment in speaking to them because every one of them made some kind of a change in their life because they were having a conversation and they were like, that's not right. And I know that 
for for a lot of us, it's always like, yeah, but I'm not that kind of person or I'm not confrontational or all these like, I'm going to say nonsense, not making them any less than what they are, but all these nonsense excuses that we that have been pushed upon us to to make it sound almost like it's wrong for you to show up for yourself because you literally the example I can use is if I got into a car accident and the person literally took their car and rammed it into mine. I have the right to say, what are you doing? You hit my car. Why is that any different than being at a job, being in any situation and saying, hey, I'm not being treated right. And why is it any less legit than the person literally? Why? Because you don't think that you're treating me wrong. And so in having these conversations of like my friend who was at this place for seven years and I felt that she had she should have left three years ago. But literally when she she had been constantly interviewing and whatever, the rest is history. When she finally hit that place of being like, this isn't right. Like, I think it came down to something so small, Nikki, as this person said, I missed this. And when I approached and like, hey, Bob, I, you know, I was it brought it was brought to my attention that I missed this email. And I realized that I didn't miss the email. You just never responded to it. And Bob was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I never said you missed that email. It was something that small that pushed her in the direction of, oh, I'm glad I had that conversation. I'm glad that I stepped out of place and said, hey, I'm sorry I wasn't that good. How can I be better? And I think it's so important that we surround ourselves with that kind of mindset, even if it's with strangers, because, you know, sometimes everyone's always like, I don't want to bring that up with my friends or maybe there's even a hesitation, which was taught to us that um, we can't learn from our friends, that we have to learn from someone in an authoritative place, which is hilarious because like we just met literally. What was that? How'd they get there? How'd they become an authority? Yeah, right, right. They got there because they were someone's friend. And that's how, you know, that's how that conversation. But like me and you, we're not meeting physically. We're meeting over a virtual setting. And I already feel like if I wanted to bounce some kind of idea off of you, I could say, hey, Nikki, I had this thought. I wanted your opinion on it. Not because we're like BFFs all of a sudden, but because these are the rooms that we're putting ourselves in. And so I think it's so important to have these conversations to, yes, with our careers, but also as an entrepreneur, if you feel like it's time to raise your prices, if you feel like you're seeing that in your industry, others are making more money and you want more money. You know, I mean, ultimately, no, we're not minimized to just making money or just spending our time. But like if I'm putting in this great work, I want to be compensated. Um, And I think it's so important to be to have these conversations, which leads me to the question of. And we're going to wind down a little bit here so I can give you back some of your time. Um, If right now someone came to you and they were on that. Where you were, where you started, where you were like. Going to the bathroom at work and you're like, I'm doing all these things and I just don't get it. It's not clicking A and B do not connect. What would be like. The three things that you would say to this person. Right now to help them or guide them or maybe even make them feel better about their current place? Okay, three things. I think the first is you're not crazy. I think that that goes back to what your friends going through this experience and being like, you, you've been like, I think she should have left a while ago. And then it being like the straw that broke the camel's back is like literally, mm-hmm. like so often we reason ourselves to stay in a situation to the point where we start feeling like we can't trust ourselves and we can't trust the situation. Yep. And especially again, what I'm hearing that happened with her coworker sounds like a a nice little sprinkling of gaslighting just a little bit. Yep. Um, And those are the types of things that like, if that's what's breaking, it was broken a while ago and you've been giving all you can do, right? And so really honoring the fact that if you are in that spot where you're like, I don't know what other angle I can go at this with, honoring the energy you've put towards it. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you're broken or flawed or wrong. It's okay for something to not work. Another thing I think we learn is that like, especially as women, and this is something I think in friendships for women specifically, it's like, we can't break up with our friends. Like we need to, I've known you, so I have to stay here. I have to stay here until we're not here. Right. And it's the same thing. It's again, you think of the dowry system, right? Like you were given to somebody, you don't have a choice. 
Like there's a lot of the way that we operate that we think that by acknowledging something's wrong or leaving something that's bad, that that's something that we need to hold and be ashamed of. And in reality, Mm -hmm. like those are the things that we need to continue to move ourselves forward. That's the, sometimes it's not that you can fix something. Sometimes you need to leave a situation and that's okay. Right. So I'd say that the first part of this is really honoring that, like that feeling in you is not crazy. It's not wrong. Yeah. I think there is a part of this that is really like, I think, again, you touched on this of, of finding a space where you feel like you can have some of this feeling live outside of you. So some people will not feel comfortable saying this out loud to people. Some people are, are, you know, I think of it, I guess a little more introverted is what I'll say, but I'm not sure if that's exactly what I mean, but somebody that might want to process it, but not necessarily be ready to like go on the stage, whether that stage is in front of one person or a group of people. So Mm -hmm. I encourage you to like journal it, write it out. So it's outside of your body. Do it. Another thing I have people do in coaching is literally go to your phone, turn on the voice memo and just talk into your phone by yourself, get it out of your body. That's really important thing to do when you are. And I wish that like, how old was I? 20, I can't even know, 27, 28 (laughs) year old me could have gotten it out of my body. And trust, I was going to therapy every week. Like I had places to be talking about this, but it wasn't as directed about like, this is, these are the, these are the elements of where I am that don't work. It's just, I need a new job. I need a new job. I need a new job. I'm not doing something right. I'm not doing something right. So it was kind of repeating of like very shallow, but also not shallow, like really large limiting beliefs that didn't allow me to use the wonderful parts of my brain to see all the things. So I think just really getting it out of your body would be a really important thing to do. I personally have created in my business, a group coaching experience where people can come and it's not necessarily to leave a job. You can do that. But I have people Mm -hmm. that are, you know, come when after they've gotten laid off, come when they're in a job and trying to be a new manager, have people that are trying to negotiate, dealing with conflict, deciding whether or not they want to start a business that was their side hustle into a business. So many different things. We don't have these arenas where we can talk about this stuff. So if you can that, that's amazing. I think really finding some people in some places that can at least bear witness is a really powerful thing. Cause again, once you say it out loud and it escapes your lips, it's not as scary as it was it's like yeah. the boogeyman, right? You go and you look in the closet, the boogeyman's out there, <laughs> that kind of feeling of just like letting it live and breathe. And again, a little bit more woo woo, but like the power of you saying it out loud gives the opportunity for that to manifest into reality. And so trying really hard to not shove it down because I think a lot of this like getting small and being quiet is swallowing a lot of this stuff and if you are somebody like me I had and I had crazy GI issues because I was constantly like internalizing my physical body knew what was happening and my 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 intellect was trying to like reason oh it's because I can't eat this it's like no girl you're living in a place that literally will not let you speak will not let you express, will not let you solve the problems. So your body is starting to reject the situation. Um, And I guess the third, I'll say this, the thing that I think is, is the most important thing to do to give yourself that confidence that I think oftentimes when you're crying in the bathroom, you're like, I just need to get out of this bathroom right now. I can't be like the most empowered version of myself. I, you know, thinking of quitting, like that means I have to go look for another job. Oh, like that feeling of just like drain on drain on drain. I have no time. I can't sleep. And when I do sleep, I'm dreaming about my job. That Mm -hmm. feeling of just like that cycle is really, and I think this is fun. This is how I have most people work with me is I have you start to get to know yourself. So start really like just giving yourself some room to get to know who you are and how you operate. And allow for that to be a gift back, allow for that to be food and nourishment from that kind of, think about it like you're eating food, but it's not filling you up. Mm -hmm. Allow for that to be the food that starts to fill you up. So you can start witnessing yourself outside of the identity that you've created or has been created for you of who you are at that job. So those would kind of be the three things that I would say. One, acknowledge you're not crazy. You are not. What you're experiencing is very real. And it is important for you to acknowledge and honor that. And your intuition that's telling you this isn't right for you is important. I think two is create an opportunity for it to get outside of your body, whatever way feels comfortable for you. And maybe it might feel a little uncomfortable, but a little uncomfortable is okay. And then the third part is really giving yourself the opportunity to invest in understanding who you are and how you operate. So then as you step forward, you can pull from those muscles that are really strong that you already have, but might not have been able to be used where you are. Okay. And I kind of want to wind down a little bit. Where can we find you? Where can we connect with you? Are you on the socials, the LinkedIn's? 
Yes, I'm on the socials. It's at Nikki Innocent, two K's and an I, innocent, like the opposite of the word guilty, um, on all the socials. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. You can go to NikkiInnocent.com. That kind of shows you the stuff that I've got going on. Um, my, If you're interested in working with me, NikkiInnocent.com slash coach dash me are the two kind of main ways that people can work with me in a coaching setting. Um, and then I also have my podcast. If you want to have a listen, I, it's both those interviews of the other stories, but I also sprinkle in some solo episodes. And I can't, if you can't tell, I sprinkle in a lot of coaching stuff. I sprinkle in a lot of the stuff we've been talking about. Um, both in my interviews with other people and in those solo episodes. So I hope that something is resonant and helpful for you. I really, um, I feel like my, my, my purpose for being here is to create spaces where it's okay for people to be who they are. And in turn, that also creates spaces for me to be okay, who I am as somebody yeah. that has lived in the middle and in the in-between for so much of my life. It's been something that's really challenging to be like, do I fit here? And so intentionally creating those spaces and honoring those spaces and recognizing them is so important. So I hope that you join me in one because again, your story is uniquely yours and I am, <laughs> I'm obsessed with them. So like <laughs> the nourishment elements I was talking about hearing people's stories and getting to meet people is one of the things that really lights me up. So um, yeah, NikkiInnocent.com and at NikkiInnocent and all the things um, or checkbox other are really, really good ways to kind of stay connected. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for coming on to You the Boss, Nikki. And I look forward to us chatting again in the future. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited for you. This is such a wonderful podcast. So thank you. Thank you.